Morning, Hope Church. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. That's what we're going to be uh, uh, going through this morning as we open up right now, please, in your Bibles, open up to Psalm 110. We're going to look at the new covenant implications of the Lordship of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Keith and I are both uh, elders here, so great to meet you. If this is your first time or you're looking for a church, we'd love to get to know you. Our other guy, Vic, is unwell. He's sick, so he's not here this morning. So you can be praying for him because he, how did he put it? He said, pray for me. I'm really old. So that's his words. So pray for him. Uh, and it's, I think he, he's, he's actually got the man flu, which we don't know whether he'll come back from that. We don't know how long that's going to have him uh, on his back with a little bell for service. We don't know. But we can be praying for Vic. He's our, he's our brother and we, we love him. <clears throat> Uh, We're we're going to be, uh, just for a few weeks, pausing our series through the book of Mark, where we've been going through the the account of Jesus' life and ministry. We've taken a pause on that to take a look this week at the, uh, what we call Vision Sunday, the pretty much just reorienting, refocusing, repositioning ourselves for the new year, reminding ourselves uh, what the task of the church is, is what theologians call the church militant. Okay, that is that we are the church on earth being led and commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ as our king and our general, leading us into battle against hell's gates, leading us into the, the saving ministry of preaching the gospel and seeing people saved. We're the church militant, hands are in the dirt. We are in, a, in action, working for the Lord Jesus. The church triumphant is, is our dead brothers and sisters who are in heaven, and they're triumphant and finally free from all suffering, sin, and agony. And we're looking forward to that, but right now we're, we're militant. And so uh, we're, we're taking a stop on Mark. We're going to look this week at what we should be about as the church, what tasks particularly we're planning on this year. And then over the next two weeks, we're going to take some time to break down what God's view of the, the nuclear family with mum and dad uh, or what other uh, uh, combination, that sounds way too liberal, mum or dad or whatever uh, effect sin has had on our lives. Maybe there's singleness, maybe it's fostering, maybe it's, it's adopting, whatever it is. But what the family in God's design seeks to serve and what the purpose of family is in God's design for discipleship, especially in the new covenant. So we'll look at that over the next two weeks, get very practical, lay down some biblical foundations. But right now, we're going to be looking at uh, Psalm 110 and what, uh, how it relates to our task as a church. So you can have that open before you. <coughs> 2022, I've, I've uh, uh, prepared just a, a little uh, uh, statement I'm going to read. In 2022, Hope Reformed Baptist Church is zealously committed to Honouring the Lordship of Jesus by proclaiming His gospel despite any distractions, obeying His word despite external pressure, teaching Christians thoroughly despite the season, because He who commissions us is faithful. So there's our three parts sort of vision for the, for the year. And you'll see how, as I pull this out of Scripture, you'll see just how uncreative we are. We, we, we are just book people. We preach the Bible. And, and if we can't find it here, we don't, we don't preach it. We don't try and live it. So nothing creative, nothing fancy, just good old Great Commission. But you'll see this in three parts. First of all, and this will uh, structure our sermon for this morning. First of all, we want to rightly honor the Lordship of Jesus Secondly, that's going to look like proclaiming his gospel, obeying his word, and teaching Christians. Thirdly, because he who commissions us is 
faithful. So first of all, let's, let's start pulling apart what it means to rightly respond to the Lordship of Jesus. Let's just establish the fact of the reign of, of Christ from Psalm 110. We'll also look at Matthew 28. We want to establish the reality of Jesus' Lordship. Having come in the flesh into our likeness from eternity, having lived the life that was perfect so as to earn a righteousness before the Father, having, having died the death that we deserve to die, sinners, and then having been raised up from the dead in response to his faithful fulfilling of his ministry, God the Father then honoured the Lord Jesus by exalting him, Philippians 2 says, into the position into the status and into the office that has the title and name that is above every other name, which is the title Lord. Jesus was promoted, if you want to use 21st century language, he was exalted to the right hand of the Father because he faithfully finished his commission that, the, that God sent him to do, which was live for us, die for us, and now be our everlasting mediator and priest and king and prophet. Amen? So, every human being has to live in light of the fact that Jesus is Lord. We've said it before and we'll say it again. The gospel presentation that I want us to be, to be versed with and to be constantly saying to people is not, would you like to accept Jesus' application to be your Lord? The apostles never ask people in their proclamation if they want Jesus to be Lord. That's not a declaration. That's asking for permission on behalf of the God Almighty. We're not doing that. We're declaring a fact. This is what the apostles did. They declared an indisputable, unchangeable, immutable fact that Jesus is Lord. Not asking your opinion, not, not seeing if you want to agree to that, sign the dotted line and Jesus will take uh, uh, joint ownership of your life. No, we are declaring Jesus is Lord. Now, every human being here this morning, in the world, has to come to grips with the fact and choose how they will respond to the fact that Jesus is Lord. This is the most important thing about you. Friend, this determines your eternity. How do you respond to the fact that the Father has exalted Jesus Christ up out of the grave onto the throne above the whole universe, redeeming and saving people? How do you respond to that? To reject it is the essence of sin. Re rejecting that fact in rebellion, saying, I don't, I don't like that fact, I don't agree with that, I'm not going to live my life in light of that fact, that is the essence of sin. Responding wrongly to the Lordship of Jesus so that you submit your life to other authorities instead of His. So that you take pleasure in things other than Him so that you seek the purposes of things other than the purpose of his kingdom and his glory, so that you desire things or you trust in things other than him, is to revolt against the lordship that has been established by the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the essence of sin. And it is the essence of the Christian life, it is the essence of living rightly in accord to the word of God, to live, to rightly respond in faith and then obedience to the Lordship of Christ. So we, we start our right responding, or in other words, you start the Christian life by faith. That's what we've just sung. 
justified by faith alone. You, you respond rightly to the fact that Jesus lived for you, died for you. The payment was accepted by the Father, therefore he was raised. He was exalted by the Father, therefore he is Lord. You respond rightly to that and say, I, I trust him with my sin. I trust him with my soul. I trust his authority to rule my life because he is Lord. The Father has proven that. You do that, you're now a Christian. And the rest of your life is asking the question, how do I live rightly? And then in the context of a church, how do we live rightly if or since Jesus is Lord? If this universe is under new management, if the throne is now established with a king on it that will never be moved, who will not fail, if that is true or since that is true and I have believed that, how do I live this life? I have not believed to be sucked up into heaven immediately and leave this earth to the pagans. No, we have believed, been regenerated, and now we are to get about what God would have us doing. Part of my theory is if we were to ask the question, right, you haven't read the Bible before, or you're a Christian who, uh, who is recently converted or we're a new church, we're trying to think about our vision, right? Imagine that. We, we ask the question, we have been saved, Jesus is reigning, the Father has made him Lord and exalted him, how should we then live? The answer is crystal clear for us in Matthew chapter 28. So I know I told you Psalm 110, you're going to keep one finger there, and then you're going to flick over to Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter of the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 20, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. <clears throat> and it says this, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I am Lord of all. I've received from my Father the highest exaltation. Therefore, preach, baptize, teach, and repeat till they kill you or you die. That's the mission of the church. That, that's what it looks like. So Jesus starts with, I'm authoritative. That's what we said. If he is, and, and since he is on the highest throne, how should we live? Jesus says, you should live preaching that fact, discipling people who believe that fact into maturity and repeating so that they are then observing all that I've commanded them, starting with repentance and all the way to go and preach repentance. That's what Christians should do since Jesus is alive. Or another way you could answer this, if we were still trying to, uh, trying to ask the question, if we're all Christians now, since we're saved by the King and he's on the throne, how should we live? You could just then go and read the only historical book, not historically accurate, they're all historically accurate. I mean the only book in the New Testament that is history, that is just story after story rather than letters and sermons is the book of Acts. God gave us one history account of what the early church was doing over about 20, 30, 40 year period and Acts is it. We don't get to normalize another style or sense of Christian church ministry other than the book of Acts. 
And what we see in the book of Acts is exactly this. It starts with Jesus reminding them that he is Lord. And then through the whole thing, what you see is a whole lot of preaching, a whole lot of baptizing, a whole lot of teaching, and a whole lot of suffering. And they repeat it all. That's church, Great Commission ministry. Since Jesus is on the throne, therefore we will preach, we obey despite the cost, we teach disciples in and out of season because God was with them, which brings us back to our vision statement that in 2022, Hope Reformed Baptist Church is zealously committed to honoring the Lordship of Jesus by proclaiming his gospel despite any distractions, obeying his word despite external pressure, teaching Christians thoroughly in and out of season because he who commissions us is faithful. Flick back to Psalm 110 now. This is the great commission of the Old Testament. (coughs) This dynamic of Jesus' lordship and therefore our mission can be seen by looking at Psalm 110 through careful new covenant lenses, right? We put on the the, the apostolic clarity that comes in the New Testament. We then understand that and we can go back and understand all sorts of prophecies in the Old Testament that were pointing to Jesus. This is one of them. Psalm 110 is a psalm of David where he's writing down a conversation that he is prophetically uh, hearing between the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son who would become the incarnate Lord Jesus, when you look at Psalm 110, you'll see capital L-O-R-D, all capitals, that's referring to the name Yahweh, which is referring in this instance to the Father. And where you see Lord with lower, uh, 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 with, with only capital L, that is referring to uh, the, 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 the King, Jesus, God the Son in the flesh. So what we're seeing is a conversation from David's point of view between the Father and the Son. Uh, uh, prophetically, this, this seems to be happening after the resurrection. Look at what verse 1 says. The Lord, that's God the Father, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. That is an invitation or a, a coronation, an exaltation of one to his right hand, to be at the right hand of A king is to be on the the, the seat of ultimate authority and sovereignty. The only person of higher authority than someone at the king's right hand is the king himself. And yet we see that he's seating on a throne at God's right hand. Jesus is given all authority on heaven and earth as he says in Matthew 28. In Hebrews 1 verse 3. It says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, on the throne of David, Acts 2 verse 30 says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every other name, Ephesians 1 verse 21 says. God has made him both Lord and Christ, Acts 2 verse 36, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2 verse 10. He is crowned with glory and honor, Hebrews 2 verse 9. 
He is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Revelation 1, verse 5 and 6. Or in Jesus' own words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Jesus, in the words of Psalm 110, verse 1, was told by the Father, sit at my right hand. This frames everything that we do as a church. This frames everything that you do as a Christian. Calvin said, certainly the apostles, in hearing the the Great Commission, says, certainly the apostles never would have had enough confidence to undertake so arduous a task as the Great Commission if they had not known that their protector sits in heaven and that their Uh, The highest authority is given to him. This is what frames and empowers the mission of the church is the fact that our king and our head, our lord, our our saviour, our priest, our prophet, our king has all authority in heaven and on earth. If we are not acutely aware of the lordship of Jesus Christ and what that means for every area of life, we will not have the courage to undertake the task of the Great Commission. The the, the authority or the size of the mission needs to be in proportion to the authority that is given. Right? How many of you, before last Thursday, you went and took your bins out, you weren't sure which night it was, you looked up and down the street, is it recycling week this week? Before you went and did that, how many of you applied for a, an exemption or applied for a letter or a, uh, a, a, an allowance from the queen in order to go and take the bins out? And I don't mean husbands asking your wife if she'll do it. I mean writing to the crown over the commonwealth to receive a, uh, a letter to approve that you can go and take the bins out. None of you. How many of us, before we did the dishes, uh, wrote a letter to our prime minister to, to require some kind of appointment to that task? None of us, except for the very tricky husbands and teenagers. No, none of us do that. Because such a, a menial task would need no sense of great uh, uh, and heavy authority. The size of the mission should be in proportion to the authority given. And in the Great Commission to the church to disciple all nations with the gospel of Jesus and teach disciples to obey everything Jesus has commanded comes with the highest, the grandest, the most supreme, prime authority. Therefore, the intensity, the size, and the success of this mission must be in proportion to that. The most significant thing that is going on in this world, the reason we said last Vision Sunday, the reason the universe has not been uh, rolled up yet and put on God's shelf for heaven and hell to, to begin is because the Great Commission is not completed yet. It is because Jesus still has tasks to do on this earth through his church. All authority has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. The King of Kings has promised his authority because the task of the church is an age-long, militant, spiritual battle for the souls of eternal people. So we need to know that the one who has all authority tells us to go. Here's something else. If you read the book of Acts, you know that on every page, they start bumping into people who claim a level of authority to tell them to stop doing what Jesus told them to do. 
right now, right now, across the uh, uh, sort of North Americas, there is, a, there is a law coming into place. I believe it's Canada. A law coming into place that would make it practically illegal, unless you've got a great lawyer. A, it is functionally illegal to preach a biblical view of sexuality without breaking a new law that was just passed in Canada. So what did a handful, a couple of hundred of reformed uh, gospel-loving churches do and mark January 16 as? They marked it as Biblical Sexuality Sunday. So that the week that it comes in, they're in their pulpits preaching on God's design for male and female sexuality. Why? To poke people in the eye because getting locked up is fun? Maybe. Hopefully not. Why? What is this dynamic in relationship? This relationship is the the church going out to preach the the word of God and in the world, lots of petty kings and and people or friends, people around uh, who are being being influenced and seeing the gospel go out, they stand up and say, I have an authority to tell you to stop doing what Jesus has told you. That's why Jesus needed to tell the apostles. That's why every church needs to be reminded continuously that your king who sends you out has established other realms of authority in the world, yes, but none of them reach over into the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to run into people who claim authority to say, stop doing what Jesus told you to do, therefore he reminds them, there is no such authority that gets to tell me to stop. So, in 2022, HRBC is zealously committed to honoring the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's step one. Part two is the how. What's the next step? (coughs) And that is where we've said that we will proclaim the gospel despite any other distraction, obey his word despite external pressure, teach Christians thoroughly despite the season. And therefore we say that we can look now at Psalm 110, the effect of Christ's lordship. We've looked at the reality of his lordship. The father has enthroned him. He is king. He has declared that. Now we're looking at the effects of that lordship. What is Jesus doing with his rule and reign? What is he doing with his eternal term in office? What are his goals? What were his election promises that he is no doubt going to fulfill? Look at Psalm 110, verse 1, at the second half. I'll just read the whole thing. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 2, the Lord sends forth from Zion, that's where the, the royal city and the throne was, your mighty scepter. Rule, the command comes, rule in the midst of your enemies or rule while surrounded by your enemies. <coughs> The effect of Christ's lordship and authority as the resurrected saviour is that God will bring every enemy of Christ down. And that happens either through conversion, where God so works in them that they are no longer enemies, but they are reconciled to him, or through destruction, so that those who raise up against the lordship of Christ find themselves in the history books, written down with a little BC or whatever the other one is, AD, in the year of our Lord. Their death is marked as an enemy of Jesus right next to the reality of Jesus' reign. People either are converted 
or are judged by the Lord Jesus in a spiritual and eternal sense. And we see this play out throughout history. This is the effect of the Lordship of Jesus. Nothing will stop him from building his church. His church. 4, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 25 says, He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So the effect of his lordship is that he will accomplish the building of his church in the world. Matthew verse 28, 19 and 20 again is when Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, Jesus is saying, since I am enthroned, since I am the king over the universe, the Father has given me the throne. Since that is the fact, there is no lasting opposition to me which will stop me from saving my people and building my church. So get moving. That's what the Great Commission means. Therefore, our vision is honoring the the Lordship of Jesus by proclaiming his gospel despite any distractions, obeying his word despite external pressure, and teaching Christians thoroughly in and out of season. Let's break those, those down quickly. First of all, proclaim his gospel despite any distractions. D.L. Moody said, Our greatest fear as Christians and a church should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. The choice of the church, the decisions that the church needs to make, that we need to be making day by day, in the elder boardroom, on the, in the Sunday school planning room, in your own daily life decisions as families, the continual decisions we need to be making is not often, not always between horrible and good, good and bad. It's often, as we consider the task of the church, between good and better. Or the main thing and something that can pass as the main thing but might cost just a little bit less. The focused, central task of the church in all ages, the only reason we exist, without which God will withdraw his blessing from us, is the proclamation of the soul-saving gospel to every creature. Let's all just be a little bit honest. If we look back over the past year, there was probably an opportunity to share the gospel that we shirked at, that we drew back a little bit. It was embarrassing. It was the Christmas table. And maybe if you're alone with that person, you would have dived into that opportunity, but you're around other people. There was embarrassment. But at another opportunity, when somebody said something that gave opportunity for a political conversation, you were quite happy to jump in. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just own, own that myself, at least, if, if none, of, uh, none of you feel that you've done that. That there have been opportunities to say something I'll jump at and sometimes opportunities to share the gospel that, that I find myself hitting a, a slightly bigger uh, barrier. Why? Because there's lots of things we can talk about and be right, maybe even biblical. There's lots of things we can do that are good and helpful, maybe even biblical, But there is one thing that has to be the driving goal and mission of a church. And if we are not continually recalibrating ourselves around this, we will get distracted, experience mission drift. And in a generation's time, this church will be no better than one of the liberal social gospel rubbish pieces of building that are out there today called churches. So cool. If we are not intentional, zealous, committed and disciplined on recalibrating ourselves on gospel proclamation above everything else, 
we will find ourselves drifting. And why, Spurgeon says, why does God need churches to exist in the world that aren't preaching his gospel? So, this is what we see in the book of Acts. Again, if you just take up right off Matthew 28 and you go to the next sort of event that was happening a few books later, it was Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the Spirit falls, and then the gospel proclamation starts. And we know that in their experience, in their time, there was cultural norms that were uncomfortable. There was political conspiracies and injustices, literally people killing uh, innocents for the sake of political gain. It was, it's all been going on for a long time. All of that was happening. There was injustices. There was social ills and crimes against humanity. There was economical concerns. There was unbiblical uh, 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 patterns going on all around them. And, and they let the Bible speak to it all. Let, let's not pretend that, that the apostles shirked away from something that sounded, I don't know, political or sounded... Uh, 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 something that was anything other than a strict gospel presentation. They let the Bible speak to it all, but the task, the task they woke up in the morning to accomplish was the proclamation of the gospel that Jesus lived, died, and rose, and reigns for sinners. Amen? Has to be the bulldogmatic single focus of a church. We will need that same focused zeal. Our culture and our society, it's changing, not for the better. Our mission field is changing. Our mission stays the same, the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in this year, we plan to uh, expand and increase our evangelism in the city, maybe at other times throughout the week so that more of us can get out there in teams with tracks and our voices and burning hearts and preach the gospel to lost sinners. We want to expand out and plant a church by God's grace in South Brisbane. And it's sort of an area where there's, within a five-minute drive, about 30,000 people living in residential areas and an extra 18,500 people an hour go through there on public transport. It's a busy area. It's, it's an Ephesus. It's a Corinth. It's a city hub. We want to get the gospel there. We plan, by God's grace, to plant a church there middle of this year. Since Jesus is Lord... Friends, how will you increase your gospel proclamation this year compared to last year? That's for each of us to take before the Lord and decide. <coughs> Secondly, obeying the word despite opposing pressure. Again, we're thinking of the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, they provoked no one intentionally. I know you watch my preaching, you say, you don't believe that, uh, I don't think that's how you think uh, through the, the, the New Testament, but it is. I do believe that. They, they were not intentionally, and we shouldn't intentionally be, going out and poking the eyes of governors. We should not be trying to provoke problems. However, or let me, instead of however, it makes it sound like I'm just making an excuse for it, we should not provoke the powers that be. We should understand that if God thinks your gospel proclamation is shaking the gates of hell enough, he will bring the blessing of persecution to your front doors. You don't need to go around and spark up or try and seek out opposition from other powers and authorities and structures in society. If you're rattling the devil's gates enough, he'll send out his armies for you. If the Lord considers that our gospel proclamation is pure enough, he will give us the blessing of the crown of persecution. So that our obedience to the word is not twisted in such a way as to have an agenda of starting problems, 
But our obedience to the word, we are told by Paul, will always come at a persecuting cost. So that we seek to obey the word despite all opposing pressures. Yet as, and we know that those opposing pressures will be those who oppose the message of the gospel, reject the authority of Jesus, are hostile to the culture change that comes about when people are being revived. We will preach the gospel and seek to obey the word despite all opposition. Therefore, we will bend our knees. I want you to think through this and, and commit before the Lord now that this is something you also will be doing, that you will obey everything that the word of God says to the way our families run, to the way our marriages operate, to the way our relationships and friendships happen, to the way our employment or our employing of others occurs, how we use our money, how we practice and speak of our sexuality, our speech to one another and to others. Everything that the Word of God says is for our good that we would put ourselves joyfully under it. Will you commit with me this year to obey the Word of God despite external pressures and my Word, despite internal pressures of the flesh? Since Jesus is Lord, we will seek to obey the Word in whatever it commands. So we proclaim the gospel we obey the word and we teach Christians thoroughly in and out of season. Matthew 28, verse 20, this is where Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I commanded you. That means gentlemen who have been saved recently, ladies who have been saved recently, or you've been saved a long time and you're at a plateau in Christianity, I respect you far too much to speak to you as if there's types of Christians that are going to take the word of God and increase in their knowledge and increase in their obedience. And they're what we call the radicals and they're probably called to missions and ministry. Then there's the rest of you who you've chosen to plateau or you're, you're, you're a busy guy so you don't have time to lead the family in, in spiritual things. No, we're not going to disrespect the word or you in order to do that. Let's say that what God says that the church ought to be about, it says to everybody, teach all of the disciples everything I commanded you. We ought to expect and put before people and then help one another out in becoming mature disciples that believe everything and obey everything that Jesus has commanded. In the book of Acts, we see this happening through uh, through house-to-house -house ministry, as well as churches, as well as uh, uh, evangelism times, lectures in the house of Tyrannus, Paul did. The task of the local church is unapologetically deep, thoroughly comprehensive, biblically grounded, theologically rich, practical teaching in and out of season. In other words, meaning when it's popular and when it's not. When people say, please teach us more, you teach them more. When people say, please teach us less, you teach them more so that they start wanting to be taught more. And then you teach them more. Preaching in and out of season in depth. At church, of course, we do this through, we want to expand our theological, um, our, our, our teaching resources so that we have videos and teaching uh, things on our app and website that are, are theological resources for people to be growing in and developing their understanding. We also want you to be deeply involved in the fellowship groups where we do intentional teaching overseen by the elders, though run by different people in the congregation, teaching you, equipping you in the word of God and what he commands. 
And this means that at church we do expositional series through books of the Bible. As Ephesians 4.12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The work is before us. Souls are lost. Christians are in desperate need. Let's not talk about this as something outside of these four walls. There are some lost among us in your own families and households sitting here today. There are some of us here today who are, who are flailing about in sin because of our ignorance of the Word of God and our, our years of, of, of lethargy in the Christian life. Every one of us needs to be matured and built up by the gracious Lord Jesus who promises us His Spirit to see that done in us. God's will for you in 2022 is to grow in holiness, grow in knowledge of the Word. He who promises is faithful. He will surely do it, friends. That's what we're about here at church. And then thirdly, so, so you, you've seen there, we're zealously committed. You're going to have this memorized by the time we finish. I know you will. Zealously committed to honoring the Lordship of Jesus by proclaiming his gospel despite any distractions, obeying his word despite pressures, teaching Christians thoroughly in and out of season because he who promised is faithful. And so thirdly, we can look at that last section. He who commissions us is faithful. In, Psalm, uh, sorry, in, in Matthew 28, you see Christ's great commission to us. But in Psalm 110, you see the Father's great commission to the Son. So we have the, the Son commissioning us, His church, in Psalm 28. Uh, sorry, Matthew 28, and in Psalm 110, you see the Father giving the great commission to Jesus. And what you'll notice is that both of them, towards the end, are buffeted or are grounded with a promise of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ to accomplish the task. So the great commission ends in verse 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Meaning, the Lord Jesus Christ will be with his church through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit until the task of planning every church, saving every chosen person, fulfilling every good work is complete. Jesus will be with us by his Spirit until he finishes that. And then in Psalm 110 verse 5, the promise is, David is speaking of Jesus the King being at the right hand of his people, says, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. In other words, Jesus is with his church, defending against foes and leading our march to victory. That's why we finish our, our vision statement with saying, because he who commissions us is faithful. He will be with us. He's leading the charge. He is um, in our midst by his Holy Spirit in this ministry and mission of the church. Look at verse 4. In Psalm 110, I don't know where I last told you to be, so go to Psalm 110 or look at verse 4 if you're already there. In Psalm 110. The Father, this is where we see another promise of his, his Lordship. One of the promises that form the foundation of the Lordship of Jesus is this. When, when God the Father speaks to the Son, He says, uh, 
the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you, my son, he's speaking to his son, Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We won't jump into Melchizedek this morning. Come to the ladies' Bible study in Hebrews if you want that. But he says, you are a priest forever. In other words, you are an undying priest and an undying immortal king. Now, in the Old Testament, you didn't, you didn't mix those. You were not a king who led the people in battle and led the people in justice, as well as being a priest who led the people in worship and sacrifices. They had to be kept separate. And yet, this Lord Jesus that would come would be both king that would reign and defend and shatter kings, and he would be the priest that can sprinkle anybody that comes to him by faith with his own blood for salvation who can welcome people into the throne room for forgiveness. For the king is also the priest that God the Father has sworn will never be moved from that office. He is, as long as he lives, he will be saving people. As long as he lives, he will be praying for his elect and bringing in sinners through his blood sacrifice. Look at verse 6. Another promise of his lordship, is that he will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. This is an echo, isn't it? When it says there, he will shatter chiefs, you could otherwise translate that, he will crush heads over the wide earth. And aside from just being super gory and great, what we see there is an echo of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When God said to Satan, your seed and man's seed will be enemies and you will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but he will crush your head. And the promise comes again through David. There's a coming king who will crush his head everywhere that it pops itself out of its little hidey hole. Everywhere the devil's reign and effects have been shown, Jesus will crush it and turn it back. He will crush heads over the wide earth. When it says he will execute judgment among the nations, in other words, the Great Commission will be completed and Christians will make nations of at least some in every nation. The justice of the Great Commission, the the justice of the gospel will be proclaimed and the effects of people's lives will go on. These are the promises that are buffeted to the great commission of God the Father to the Son. So as we think this now, let's let's sum up and let's summarize. The Lord Jesus Christ was proclaimed through David by the voice of the Father, and he was proclaimed himself in the great commission. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is enthroned. How will you respond to that? If you're an unbeliever this morning, Your response before any obedience comes to tasks, before any religious activity starts, before you would ever be expected to do anything, the first way you need to respond to that lordship is to say, he said I'm a sinner, I believe that. The highest authority in the universe says that he can pay for my sin through his life, death and resurrection before the Father, I believe that. I'm going to trust him with my sin. I'm going to trust him with my eternity. I'm going to trust him because he is Lord and Savior, King and Priest. That's what you need to do this morning. 
To reject to do that is to remain in your sin under his condemnation. And as much as he is a great king who loves and redeems, he is a horrible enemy. Do not leave this morning while he is still your enemy, but place your faith in him, rely on him for salvation. Then, to you this morning, if you've made that decision or will make that decision, or, or to everybody else who is a Christian, who belongs to Hope Reformed Baptist Church, let's ask ourselves the question that since Jesus is Lord, since his spirit is in our midst, since the task is long and hard and yet his presence is promised, what lethargy do you need to repent of that you might offer yourself as willing to your God and King? Psalm 110 verse 3, the great promise as we speak of all of the, the task of the Great Commission, the, the effort that needs to be expended, the work that needs to be done, Psalm 110, verse 3. The Father says, Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. Be otherwise translated, Your people will offer themselves willingly on the day that you muster the troops. On the day that you call for the army to go out in power, on the day that you're, you're robed with authority, enthroned, and crowned, on that day when Jesus stands up and says, I have all authority, when he says the task of the Great Commission must be done, the Spirit will so work in God's people that they will be made willing to obey and carry out that task. I love that this is not a promise that you make to God. It's not even a command that God gives to you. It's a promise that the Father makes to his Son about the Holy Spirit. Son, you are worthy. I will send the Spirit and make your people willing so that you receive the glory that you are due. And they will give themselves in holiness for the King. I love that. So what lethargy do you need to repent of that you might offer yourself freely in holy garments to your God and King? Which fellowship group will you join this year to grow in? How will you increase your gospel proclamation this year? How will you commit yourself to family discipleship in the home? And what ministries will you put your hand to this year to serve the church on Sundays for the building up of the body of Christ? Let us all consider this and see how we might make 22 a fruitful year for the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Can you stand as I just uh, pray our final prayer over us? Commit the year, commit you, commit this church to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in, uh, in leaving us, Lord Jesus, you did not leave us as orphans, but gave your spirit who would also in turn bring about the word of God the completed New Testament, so that we have your words and your, your spiritual presence among us that we can learn and that we can obey. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. Because if it was not for Jesus' death and resurrection, if it was not for the promise of the Holy Spirit, we would hear so many commands. We would hear so much uh, of what to do. We would read so much in the Word and we would just be, we would be uh, made weak. We would have nothing to do but realize our own failings, our own sin. And Lord, while your word does highlight to us our sin and our unworthiness and our rejection of Christ's lordship and how we failed to live in light of that properly, yet Lord, it also promises to us 
grace and forgiveness and peace and renewal and redemption so that no matter what the past years have had for us, we can trust that you can redeem and lead us into fruitfulness and communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray, God, that you would make each of us zealous for your glory, that you would give to us a portion of your spirit that we would be made obedient, made willing, that we would be able to faithfully carry out what tasks you have before us today. And all those who do not know Jesus as their Savior, Lord, would you come to them? Would you convict them of their sin, give to them a new heart, and make them bend their knee to your Lordship so that they can be saved and forgiven in an instant? God, we pray this in the name of your enthroned, victorious Jesus, your Son, our Savior. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.